Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast series focusing on critical business decisions. Brought to you by Brady Ware and Company. Brady Ware is a regional, full-service accounting and advisory firm that helps businesses and entrepreneurs make visions a reality. And welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast giving you, the listener, clear vision to make great decisions. In each episode, we discuss the process of decision-making on a different topic from the business owner's or executive's perspective. We aren't necessarily telling you what to do, but we can put you in a position to make an informed decision on your own and understand when you might need help along the way. My name is Mike Blake, and I'm your host for today's program. I'm a director at Brady Ware & Company, a full-service accounting firm based in Dayton, Ohio, with offices in Dayton, Columbus, Ohio, Richmond, Indiana, and Alpharetta, Georgia. Brady Ware is sponsoring this podcast, which is being recorded in Atlanta per social distancing protocols. If you like this podcast, please subscribe in your favorite podcast aggregator, and please consider leaving a review of the podcast as well. Um, Today's topic is, should I take on a business partner? And, um, you know, as we record podcast number 79 in this series, um, I, I realize I'm derelict and not getting to this topic sooner it really should have been in one of the top 10. And I'm not quite sure why we didn't get to it sooner because um, this is a topic that for many people and businesses is, is one of the most important decisions they'll ever make. Um, and it is, is a decision as we will learn with our guests, you often have to make many times over in your career or over the life of a business or several businesses. Um, And we see, unfortunately, that quite often making the bad decision or making this decision poorly can lead to very painful results and, uh, and, and outcomes. And, you know, I myself have been a business partner. I've taken on business partners with varying (coughs) degrees of success. I've, I'm, I'm in a partnership now with, with 23 other people, I think that uh, have not thrown me out yet, and I've only threatened to burn the building down twice. Um, and I've been in a business partnership that lasted uh, exactly two months and really should have lasted one. Um, but the benefit of that was that we, we all realized that was a mistake early in, 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 um, in um, uh, accordance with best practices of Google and being inspired by Google, we decided to fail fast. And that also was a very good decision. We'll probably have an episode at some point soon on should I exit or should I terminate a business partnership? Because, you know, it says all business partnerships end. It's just a matter of, of uh, the manner and expectedness in which they actually do end. So, you know, I'm looking forward to a very, uh, a very deep and profound, a very impactful discussion today. And as our guest noted, you know, this could actually be a half a day seminar just based on the questions I have written. And maybe, maybe we'll have her back if she's willing to do it. Um, we have not yet had a, re- a repeat guest. Most of them are, are wise by the end of this thing, but maybe we'll fool her into coming back. But there's a lot of, uh, th- 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 this is a good topic I've been looking forward to. And, and um, joining us today is, is my friend and someone I've been trying to get on this podcast for for forever, but I think it would have been easier to get Beyonce to come on this thing. Um, but my friend Evelyn Ashley, who is managing partner of Trusted Counsel, a law firm here in Atlanta. And Evelyn is a person that uh, herself has been a partner in law firms, is managing partner of her own firm. 
has had partners come in, has had partners come out. Um, she's married to one of them. Um, and, mm-hmm. and she's really been through, I- I'm guessing she's been through or has addressed some permutation of every business partner relationship that you can possibly imagine. And I think we're going to hear some cool war stories today. Um, Trusted Counsel is a firm specializing in corporate law and intellectual property. They are a WBENC certified woman-owned businesses that represent small and medium uh, private company clients on matters such as mergers and acquisitions, financing and investments, intellectual property strategy, commercialization, protection, licensing, manufacturing, distribution, entity structure, and related issues, corporate spin-outs, and international transactions. Their lawyers have wide-ranging experience and bring a results-focused, pragmatic business approach to the practice of law. Evelyn has practiced in large, medium, and boutique legal practices, finding that the latter gives her the most professional and personal satisfaction and flexibility, and I suspect also Evelyn's like me, um, we don't take orders well. Um, after <laughs> practicing with Morris Manning and Martin and co-founding and building Balboni, Ashley, and Schoenberg, Evelyn founded and grew Red Hot law group, which if you're not from Atlanta or if you are from Atlanta, but you're not of a certain age, um, they were the, they were the startup law firm. Um, um, took a lot, took a lot of companies from venture or startup to venture funding and, and took a bunch of them public as well, I believe. So they, they were a, in their day, they were the name in technology, uh, here in, in, in Atlanta and really the Southeast. Um, she was also co-founder of Red Hot Venture Consulting, a strategic consulting firm and incubator for technology businesses affiliated with the law firm. Uh, Red Hot Law was acquired by Long Aldridge and Norman, now Dentons, in 2001, and Evelyn served as a partner heading the firm's technology practice. I didn't know, I didn't know you were acquired by Dentons. Um, she, yeah. left, she left Dentons' predecessor at the end of 2003 to form Trusted Counsel. Prior to graduation from law school, Evelyn served in the Coca-Cola company's mergers and acquisition team that created and took Coca-Cola Enterprises public. I did not know that. Her first employment out of college was a tender offer as a tender offer corporate paralegal at Skadden, Arp, Slate, Meager, and Flom in New York in the early 1980s. There got to be some stories there. Along with, um, uh, sorry, um, Evelyn also co-hosts In Process Conversations About Business in the 21st Century, a radio show and podcast where national guests are interviewed on emerging business trends, ideas, and techniques. And her podcast has been around way longer than this one. So do give that a listen. And I think I was on one of the early episodes of that, if I'm not mistaken, though they may have deleted it. Evelyn loves creating and collecting art, choosing on the basis of what she likes, not what experts say is art. Evelyn and her husband, Alan McKeon, are avid travelers to both exotic and usual suspect locales. And in fact, sometimes when I'm feeling sort of isolated, I will take their Facebook pictures, put it up on my 4K monitor, grab a cup of Tension Tamer tea, and we'll just go to one of those places. And right now, if you want to travel, that's pretty much the only way to get there. So I'm glad you're doing that. <laughs> Evelyn, thank you for coming on the program. Thanks for having me, Mike. Um, that's like such a mouthful. I, you know, now I'm so exhausted having reflected on what I've done over my career. I do think that I need to, um, well, I need to think about bringing on a business partner so I can uh, <laughs> retire, you know? <laughs> well, the, the, the goal is to wear down the guest before we get to the interview. So um, I'm, I'm glad to hear we may have accomplished that to some extent. So, um, so as I said, you know, one of the reasons I want to get you on this, uh, on this program and, and talk about this topic is, you know, you don't just advise on this topic, you've lived it. 
right? And and you're living kind of one of these, you're living kind of one of these partnership moments, if you will, in real time, as we talked about before the program. And I know you're Uh not going to get into specifics about that, but I think it's important to understand that you're not just an academic, you are definitely a practitioner when it comes to business partnerships. (laughs) Um, true. Business partners can be such a pain in the neck, and I am a bi- I'm a pain in the neck business partner. I'll be the first to tell you, and everybody else will be second. Why would you bother? Why would you take one on? Why would you deal with this? Well, I mean, I think it's important for any business owner to actually realize that um, throughout the the growth of a business, and um, and then even kind of the exit of, of that person or the business itself uh, through a sale or, or maybe retirement, it's important to know that um, y- you probably want to uh, grow. So uh, increase revenue, expand the territory where your products and services are offered, bring in expertise that you don't have. Um, bringing capital that you need. Uh, and then, you know, that whole idea of succession planning that I already mentioned. So, you know, yes, it can be, um, it can be challenging to have business partners because we're all human and we all have different personalities and attitudes. But, but the reality of a, a good partnership, and I, I'm using that kind of in the general business term because, um, because as a legal term, term of art, it means something completely different. But uh, I, I think that good partnerships can grow great businesses. And that's why you actually put up with the, the challenge of them. So are, are there different kinds of business partners? And I don't, I don't necessarily mean good partners versus bad partners, because that's, that's going to differ in each kind of case, right? But like. Mm-hmm. Are, are there different kinds of partners? I, think, I guess, for example, in, in the CPA world, we have equity partners, which I happen to be. They're also non-equity partners um, mm-hmm. and different sort of classifications. In law, I guess there's something called of counsel, which I kind of understand. Um, are, are there different classifications of business partners and why does that matter? Why do, why do different classifications or uh, partner identifications exist? So I think, you know, within professional services, which really is kind of the, the law, the management consulting, the accounting and CPA structures, yes, you, you typically would have at least two kinds of partners. And enough counsel isn't really a partner. They might go by that still at some point, but it's a misnomer hmm. um, within the scope of the, the business. You know, a non-equity partner basically is someone who um, has the personally has the hopes and dreams that they'll become an equity partner and share in the profits of the business. Um, And then, of course, the equity partners are usually the ones that are very focused on um, rainmaking and business development, as well as also the doing of the work. And so tend to share much more in the, the benefits, the profits that actually come out of that business. Within general businesses, there's, there's a much more expansive um, scope of business partners, quote unquote. Um, you know, as I kind of alluded, you know, one of the reasons to take partners on, uh, you know, you don't, if you look at it from the narrow, okay, a co-owner, but 
as you broaden the scope of potential, that could also be an investor to the business that doesn't work in the business, but, you know, brings access to um, not only money, but to a network and maybe business introductions for uh, expanding the business. That, that also can be a quote-unquote partner, although, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about how they typically uh, interact with the business. Um, but then also strategic partners, quote unquote, other businesses that can, um, because they're complementary in products and services, or perhaps they're in a different geographic location, they help businesses to expand um, that business faster without having to have the internal overhead and cost and expense and, and risk of actually um, expanding into those areas. So, you know, I think that, you know, it, there's a large potential scope of what a business partner can be. Now, you and I have one thing in common in that we do a lot of work with, uh, with emerging technology companies, high growth companies. And part of the recipe there is that they're taking on some form of equity investment. Are, yeah. the, we, we typically call them, quote, investors, but in point of fact, many of them would be considered legally and maybe functionally partners, right? Yeah, well, because they are, you know, if we're if we're using the business terminology of quote unquote partner, then an investor would be a partner. They're not necessarily, you know, typically they come in and they want to return on their investment. They um, they are more concerned uh, from the financial perspective of return inside the business. They're not usually part of the day-to-day -day operation of the business. If you have an angel investor that you know is interested in working for for some time, sometimes they'll actually do that for a while. But it's very unusual for an investor to actually come in and grow, you know, with the intent of every day in there growing the business. Um, so you know, and uh, having that kind of investor relationship, as I said, can be very beneficial um, growth-wise. And, and within technology is, you know, if, if you have a technology that has major impact on a market, it's very typical that you would want external capital to help you actually grow it fast because speed to market and growth is, is pretty critical in that kind of sector. Um, but, you know, there are many other businesses where you might say, well, this can actually help me to bootstrap the business faster. Um, I'm not necessarily going to grow it and sell it out or, you know, do a public offering. But um, there are also reasons to actually have kind of that investor partner involved, too. And, and the vocabulary, the legal vocabulary makes it, I, I think, a bit more confusing, right? Because there is a legal form of a partnership. But, in, yes. you know, investors like we're talking about typically invest in some sort of corporate form usually a C-corporation oh, yeah. with their venture investors, so they'd be called shareholders. But depending on their involvement, right, they may, they may function as a partner. Some will actually take on a formal Absolutely. role in the business. And others are kind of more we would consider maybe a silent or quasi-absentee partner. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think it's important to, um, you know, the, the legal term of our partner, basically, uh, if we're, we're in a legal partnership, the uh, kind of the most key challenge of those kinds of relationships is 
uh, if you and I were in a partnership and, you know, I was kind of uh, wild and did some things that maybe you didn't agree with, you could potentially be, uh, you under a partnership structure would be liable for the the risk that I have created inside the business or the, the potential losses. Within a limited liability company where you have a member in a corporation where you have shareholders, those individuals are protected by, you know, they are essentially capped at their investment in the business with regard to losses and liabilities, unless, of course, they've signed personal guarantees, and then that's a different situation. Yeah, and, and, and that's a really good point. I hadn't, I candidly had not thought of that really through, but but the nature of the partnership and, and the relative incentive structures can be very sharply impacted by the nature of the corporate form, mm-hmm. right? Because I, th- I think, from, and this may be just my myopic view because I work in finance, I'm in a CPA firm. So of course, everything to me looks like a tax or a finance problem. So when I, people ask me, what kind of corporate form should I have? Well, the first thing I do is I tell them, ask anybody but me, because I'm not really that fluent in it. But um, the answers I hear tend to be more, well, if you do this and here's how the taxes work, if you do this here, how the taxes work. But, but on the legal side, there's a whole different dynamic of how liability and risk is distributed or not distributed within the firm. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, and you're right. There are, um, you know, I don't, I don't know that we want to get too much into entity choice at this point, but um, certainly there are investors that are very interested, particularly in the early stages of a business in the losses that can actually come out of a business. Because if I invest cash and I know that business is going to have some losses for the next few years, I can actually get a tax benefit against my my profits that I've received from other businesses. And so um, that can be very attractive, particularly to individual um, investors and then also family offices, because that's usually one person or you know a family's money. And so they like the flow through. Within venture capital, of course, um, because they have limited partners inside their funds, they want to cut off that flow. And that's why a C-Corp um, from a tax perspective to them is very attractive. It cuts off the flow. But the other side of that is they can also rely very much on the statutory um, structure of corporations, which you know is very, very extensive. Um, so things like corporate governance and minority shareholder structures, they can actually they have confidence that that entity is going to, protect them and things will be done in a certain way simply because of the statutory format. Yeah. And, and I'll just sort of add a footnote as Evelyn is, is alluding to this is this, this in itself could easily be a multi-hour conversation really requires (laughs) an analysis of the, the, the particular facts, circumstances and goals of a particular partnership. So I don't think we will. I certainly hope we will never, ever have a show specifically on corporate structure. Um, <laughs> I, Come on, these are key. This is key. <laughs> well, and you know what? For all and I know, actually, for all I know, I'm going to get an email tomorrow saying I've already done one and I've just forgotten. <laughs> but, um, but, but, the, but the point here Likely. is that, <laughs> is that, is that corporate structure is, is important and it's complex 
don't take anything you hear off this show and all of a sudden start filing corporate documents. Talk to both your CPA and your attorney to help you figure out kind of what's best for you. Um, so there's our, there's our disclaimer at no additional cost to the listener. Um, exactly. Thank you. <laughs> um, how, how do you, in, in your experience, does, does the, the distinction between an active versus a, a silent partner come up? Is it, is it often a choice that's even in the hands of the, uh, of the founder or of the, whoever's sort of offering the partnership? And let me give us some context to that. You know, as you know, I do a lot of, I do a lot of shareholder, uh, or membership divorces and, mm-hmm. and I, to me, the, the biggest, the most frequent reason I'm engaged to do one of these is that at the outset, mm-hmm. two or more partners or people had gotten together and said, we're going to go build this business, take over the world. And then one or more of them kind of lose interest, stop working. And then the other one or two feel like they're doing all the effort and putting in all the value. And then the other person kind of sitting on the beach and doing Facebook and drinking cocktails, little umbrellas in them. And so they want to get that person out. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that person kind of transitioned from being inactive to a silent partner. So with that, with that in mind is, 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 is there a rule or is there a kind of a decision flow chart that, that can help somebody listening identify whether or not they should be seeking or bringing in an active sort of operational partner or if it should be somebody that from the outset is designed to be silent, which usually means just give me the capital and maybe some of your Rolodex and I'll do the rest. Right. I think that, um, you know, I think the choice of the concept of the silent partner, if we, if we call that silent partner as a um, capital access, I think those choices really are based on what the business is, what the business plan is, you know, what's going to happen over the next two, three, five years. And if you've got an owner or a group of owners inside that business that have growth plans, therefore, in that situation, a quote unquote silent partner can certainly work. I think, um, you know, from the concept of (laughs) I'm an operator and I have a silent partner who used to be an operator, uh, but is now sitting on the beach or, or I'm getting divorced and my spouse is going to end up having a partial ownership in this business as a result. All of those, um, all of those events are usually tied to the fact that you don't have a very good uh, owner agreement in place with your partner. And, you know, you'll find that in the, uh, in the early years of many businesses, founder owners will sit there saying, I can't have these difficult conversations. I can't afford to have this conversation. You know, uh, I just don't want to. <laughs> I just don't yep. want to do this. Mm-hmm. And that is really where the failing will happen because something that is going to cost you uh, you know, probably a few thousand dollars to get in place in the early years could end up costing you your, you know, your business in many ways. It could end up costing, you know, multi thousands of dollars to get a whole variety of people in to help break up that relationship. Or it could just lead to being pissed off all the time while that partner is sitting on the beach, right? I have a, um, 
years ago, um, two founders, uh, and they, they were best friends from, uh, high school and both were, um, very technological programmers. One was very social. And after college, they were like, yep, we're going to start a business. They went into it. They had a very basic uh, shareholder agreement. And, uh, you know, about 10 years into it, the business was growing, was doing well, was actually throwing out some profits for them. But one of the owners basically said, you know, I'm married. You're not married. I have four kids and a wife. I am going to have a very early midlife crisis here at 31. <laughs> and so I'm not going to divorce my wife and kids, but I'm going to divorce you. Okay. And unfortunately, yeah, unfortunately, it was a 50-50 split. And they didn't have an agreement that addressed what would happen if someone wanted to leave. And so in that situation, they could not come to an agreement on a buyout because the departing partner had a very high expectation of what the value was and did not want to believe the appraisal. And so they could never come to a conclusion on this. The one thing that he did do was he allowed the, the partner who was uh, the shareholder who was still in the business to control the board. And so he was able to do a little bit of work around growth inside the business. But that is a situation where he was pissed. That partner who stayed was pissed for the next five years, basically. And then he did raise external capital, which the, the other agreed to, um, which kind of broke the, the you know, Stalemate. breakup between them. Yes, exactly. The deadlock, if you will. Um, but, you know, expensive, uh, stressful, horrible, actually. Um, and so those are, you know, those are all important things to be thinking about as you're in business. And it doesn't matter where you are in the business. If you don't have a good agreement, you really need to take care of it because disaster happens <laughs> in yeah, many different I make, ways. I make a lot of money off of bad agreements. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, and probably good agreements, too, because good agreements will actually call for an appraisal. Yep. Um, but, you know, what you need in that situation is the process and the procedure to actually make sure that it'll be followed and the exiting shareholder or owner actually gets out. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, in, in your experience, are people who are to tend to be alike, do they tend to make better business partners or people who are less alike, maybe are more complementary, do they make better business partners or do you, or is that all over the board? I think it's, um, I think people who are alike, people need to be alike, but they need to be different. Okay. So I think the best, the best ownership relations are people that, have the same attitude toward culture inside the business. What's the environment? How do we, you know, how do we treat our people? What are the, the benefits that we want to provide? All of those kind of soft play things that go along with creating a place people want to be. Um, what are our, you know, do we have similar views on money? 
you know, are we in this because we want to make a massive killing? Um, are we in it because we just really want to have a, um, a, a business where we have a great lifestyle? Um, you know, can I trust you with my money, <laughs> you know, with each other's money? You know, what's our work ethic? What's our values? Those are things that you really do need to have alignment on. You know, from a different perspective, I think some of the best partners are those that are complementary to each other. You know, certainly, um, you know, one needs to be more of the strategist and have the big vision. Uh, the other needs to be the executor, needs to, you know, kind of like be the internal focus. Um, someone needs to make sales. Um, so, uh, yeah, so, you know, similarities are important, but difference is also important. Um, in your experience, what are the most frequent reasons partnerships don't work out? Well, because human beings are human beings and a lot Stupid of times, human beings. Yes. <laughs> Darn. <laughs> um, you know, just attitudes change. Life changes as, you know, as certain challenges get presented. Um, you know, I think we're in a big situation right now in a pandemic where it's pretty clear that cracks in business relationships are probably being identified. Um, maybe cracks in marriages are being identified as people are, you know, spending all day every day with each other. Uh, so it, it really has, I think it has to do with economic challenges from a big, from a broad perspective, kind of in the market, but also uh, economic challenges within the business. And, you know, uh, just life will do it. Um, yeah. I think that is such a good answer and it's not the one I expected, but knowing you, I should have expected to hear that from you. And that, <laughs> that, and that goes to why, why the right documentation is so important and so hard because, be, because humans, the one constant about humans is that they change, right? If you mm -hmm. never change as a human being, there's probably something wrong with you, right? It's, it's the natural human condition that your, 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 your circumstances will change, your health will change, your priorities will change. You just, you know, I, I was a horrible person in my 20s. I'm a less horrible person in my 50s, I'd like to think. Yeah. Um, and we all, we all change, yeah. right? And uh, the partnership and the way you think about the partnership and the way you structure it needs to be flexible in order to accommodate the, the inevitability of change. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it is, it's kind of like, uh, good fences, build good neighbors, yeah. good contracts, build good partnerships. And, um, typically we'll take into account basically every kind of downside that can happen as, as the business goes forward. You know, the other reason too, why um, partnerships fail is that, just as you said, you know, um, in our 20s, we're kind of trying to figure it out. In our 30s, we're kind of getting it together. Sometimes by the time we hit our 30s and our 40s, we're like, holy cow, this isn't what I want to do with the rest of my life. Yeah. And or, or 
the business has grown to a size where my skills actually don't work inside the business anymore. And so there needs to be a rotation almost of owners. And, and maybe that doesn't mean that I have to be gone, you know, out of the business as an owner, but it probably does bring me down to a, a lower percentage of the business as new people come in that can actually grow it. You know, that, that, that latter part is a really smart point And one that I don't think it's talked about, uh, just talked about a lot. You know, when, when we think of the, of, of the captains of industry and the ones that have founded companies and are really sort of legendary, right? Whether it's Steve Jobs or, um, you know, Mark Zuckerberg or, or, or somebody Bill else, Gates. Hill, Bill Gates, yep. Yep. it's not just that they were techno technology visionaries. Frankly, there are a lot of those. Um, but the yep. fact that they had the skill sets and could evolve to run a startup and to run a publicly held multi-billion dollar multinational business that's the uniqueness right that's the prodigy part and if you that happen is, to be a prodigy correct. great right but maybe your maybe your partnership should at least ask the question well what if we're not all prodigies right what if we're not all the next bill yeah. gates and and, exactly. and have a way be, because you know just because a, a company outgrows somebody's skill set doesn't mean you have to kick them to the curb right um, and maybe a great mm -hmm. example of that is Steve Wozniak, right? Th there came a point, yep. I, I don't know him. I call him Steve. He calls me, who the hell are you? But I suspect <laughs> there came a point at which he said, look, I'm, you know, I'm not the guy that's going to be CTO of a multi-billion dollar company. I still want to tinker and invent things and be a futurist and technology advocate. And I, you know, Apple didn't just kick him to the curb. They figured out mm -hmm. a way to, to let him fulfill himself within that company. Exactly. Exactly. And in all honesty, I do think that um, one of the failings of Mediabytes, which I have many opinions on the failings of Mediabytes, but <laughs> with regard to, with regard to um, technologists that actually become big leaders and highly successful, I think what happens is other technologists view them and say, that's me. That's me too. Um, but it's so hard to actually be that person who does go through those transitional elements and allows others, you know, and it becomes a, it's respect, actually. It's respect and it's trust, which is kind of one of the points I want to raise for choosing a good partner. Um, but if I am the founder of the business, I have to be willing to be respectful of other people's skills and their ability to get the boat higher in the water, if you will. <laughs> um, and I think that's one of the keys. You know, Steve Jobs, maybe not so much really brilliant, um, complete driver, uh, not necessarily too respectful of the people around him, but others yeah. generally do accept that other people know things they don't and they can help them to succeed. It's a critical, critical part of business growth, really any business, not just technology. So many business partnerships, not all, but many arrive arise out of existing friendships. Is that a good basis for a business partnership? Does that create unique dangers in a potential business <laughs> partnership when yeah. Hey, we've been friends for a long time. We ought to be business partners. Let's go. 
Yeah, I don't agree in a, um, I guess I don't agree with the idea that, wow, because we are besties <laughs> or really long term and we just love each other. Uh, subjective reasons are not the reasons to actually have a business partner. You have to have a set of objective criteria of what am I trying to achieve or or, you know, if we're together and we're putting that together, again, what do we have um, with regard to the business? How are we alike? How are we different? How do we handle X, Y, Z? So I think it's critically important when you're thinking about going into business or bringing in someone after, do they meet the, uh, the key objective criteria? Um, I think it can be great fun. You know, it's important to like your partners. Yep. Uh, you don't necessarily have to love them and you don't have to want to spend, you know, all your time with them. You're going to spend a good amount of time with them. Um, so you probably don't want to be like totally annoyed by them. Um, but, you know, I just think the other thing that um, you you have to look at it like, you have to look at a business partnership almost like marriage. You have to choose based on what your personal criteria really are. And you can't look at someone and say, no worries, they're almost there because I can change them, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then they'll be perfect. Yeah. <laughs> you know, fails every time, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, you know, in the partnership I was in that, that, and I, I was not exaggerating. Last two months should have lasted one. We were, we were friends. We had had conversations for years. We really thought we knew each other. And we thought that that was just going to sort of lead to the nirvana, right? But then mm -hmm. once we, once we actually had to operate with each other and we actually had different communication styles, different priorities, different skill sets, frankly. Um, and, and particularly since I was joining a partnership, I have skill sets that were very valuable, just not to them. And the things they needed right. were things that I was good, that I was not good at and, and didn't want to get better at. It was a real shock to the system. It, it, it shocked us that it didn't work. Yeah. Um, and I think it shocked a lot of observers in the market that were our competitors. I mean, they were really afraid when we joined forces that we were going to dominate the market. And it just, it, 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 it collapsed very quickly. And I'm glad that it um. did because we're now still friends. If we tried to hang on for six months, we would not still be friends. Um, right. I think, I, I think that's really important. So one of the, um, I've got a great example of friends. Um, so two women that actually m met each other at another company became very close friends, very different. One, a creative, the other, um, kind of much more, uh, the, the seller, the, uh, kind of externally focused, let's drive revenue, but also very process oriented, which is pretty unusual in a sales person, not to insult, um, salespeople, but, um, the two of them came together, decided to form a business. And, um, within the first three months nearly blew up hmm. because <laughs> one, you know, the process oriented one was what the heck is she doing all day? I, you know, oh my God, she's completely ADD. I, I, she cannot focus on anything. And the other one was, why is she harassing me all of the time? Leave me alone. I can't think. So the two of them, and I thought this was really very um, 
very unique. You know, there are certainly business consultants that can actually help to bring partners together and kind of help them sort things out. They couldn't afford that. It was very early stage in the business. They did find out that the health care that they had from their spouses actually provided counseling services. Okay. And so the, the two of them went to counseling for six months. And so 10 years later, great business, did $64 million in revenue last year. Um, amazing. A complete turnaround. They are able to, they understand the nuances and the personalities of the others, and now they know how to work together. Um, so what, it's cool. What, what a great story. And, and, and a thing I want to dive into, too, that um, I hadn't thought about asking, but now begs the question, is that there's a skill to becoming a business partner, isn't there? I mean, if you haven't done it before and you're used to being an employee or used to being a sole practitioner or anything other than a partner, um, you don't just walk in and become a great business partner in a lot of cases, right? There's a, there's a little bit of a training period. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I think that I think one of the, the challenges, particularly in professional services, is that um, lawyers, CPAs, financial people go into a partnership, are there for quite, or go into what is a partnership as an employee, perhaps an associate level, um, but, and over time have the expectation that they will become a partner. And, you know, I think what I've learned kind of both by doing and also by helping is you never want to bring on a partner because of expectation, because an employee will often always be an employee. They will not be able to handle the, you know, the shifts and the changes and kind of the, the non-business elements, the communication, the interaction, the discussion you know, how do you actually come to decisions on behalf of the business together? And, and certainly founders, you know, solos particularly, you know, they have a challenge too, because once you're used to making all the decisions, it's pretty hard to actually let somebody else in. So um, there's, you know, communication and wanting to succeed together is absolutely critical. So uh, that segues nicely to the next question, which is, uh, and I know you've been in this position, when you're considering to take somebody on as a business partner, how do you vet them? What are the most important things you do to vet a potential business partner? So, the, I mean, really the first thing is what, what again, is the criteria for the right partner? You know, what is the business need? And so once you've identified that, I think you have to ask the question. And this, um, this was actually put to me many, many years ago as I was going into my first, um, you know, founding my first law firm with another partner. Um, he told me, you must have mutual respect or you must have mutual trust, but you always must have financial integrity. So you can respect that person. It's great if you also trust that person, 
But as long as you respect that person, you don't necessarily have to be completely trustworthy. But within the business, you have to know that you could trust that person from the financial perspective of the business itself. So, you know, these are all elements. So, so it is both a soft element, but it's also, you know, again, what's their work ethic? Do our, does our work ethic mesh? Because if one of us wants to retire and the other one wants to grow big, um, is that going to be a challenge or can we actually just migrate it to allow that person to, you know, take the reins and move forward? I think what's really important too, again, in, in business partnerships, and this doesn't work so much, you know, certainly not in um, the Denton's world or anything, uh, but you do need to have someone who acts as the CEO and, you know, that could be an executive committee of a, a large partnership, too, where you have a small group of partners that kind of are making choices. But, you know, it's it's very hard for us all to move uh, together <laughs> forward and be successful. You know, typically you need to allow someone to have the the responsibility, the control, and and again, trust that they will do the right thing on behalf of, of everyone in the business, you know, and certainly the, the owners of the business. So assuming that's an external partner, if it's an internal partner, there's a different dynamic because you have insight, you have information insight, you would not as easily obtain from an externally yeah. sourced partner. So, you know, right. if you're considering, I know you brought in external partners, um, if you're looking at, a, at an externally sourced partner, how do you go about, about finding those things out? Do you, do you do a background check? Do you ask to see work samples? Do you talk to their clients? Do you consult the sure. tarot deck? What, what do you do? <laughs> well, I've always relied on the tarot myself, but um, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. You, you want to take up as much reference as you possibly can. You know, one of the things that you might think about if you um, if you kind of go through a diligence process and feel like, yeah, this is the person. I think the other thing, assuming that 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 person coming in is amenable to the idea, I think having a, you know, a six month or a 12 month period where it's kind of let's see how it goes. Let's work together. Let's, you know, let's do this. Maybe it's a, you know, it depends on what business we're talking about, but certainly if we're talking about professional services, maybe that's, we're working together, but we're going to be separate entities from a back office perspective, you know, clients won't necessarily know, but, um, you know, so we will go forward as a group, but we'll, we actually have the ability to split without too much of an issue um, within, a, you know, kind of a more product Based business, it's not it's not um, unique to actually say, "Come in, let's let's work together for X amount of time, and let's put a contract in place." If we're you know if we are both agreeable to this relationship going forward, within a year, the contract will actually trigger an ownership structure, a buy-in, or uh, you know, an option grant or a restricted stock grant or something along those lines, 
within the business. And, you know, and then from there we can go forward. Pretty much if you spend time and I'm basically that six month to 12 month period, um, you're going to know, you might know in three months, right? You might know in a month like you did. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and thank God we did. Um, so, um, (laughs) We're speaking with Evelyn Ashley of uh, Trusted Counsel about uh, should I uh, take on a business partner? And uh, we touched upon this a little bit, but I want to come back and be explicit. What do you think about 50-50 partnerships? Can they, can they work? I know people that are in, a, in the camp of avoid them at all costs and avoid them like murder hornets. And I know others are kind of sanguine about it. Where, where, do, you, where do you fall on that? So the way I look at 50-50 partners is they happen much more often than I ever will recommend. Okay. And so if you're going to do it, it's fine, but you have got to have a great contract between the two of you because invariably, as we've you know, already discussed, things change. People change, business changes. And so... You essentially, you know, you want to have a roadmap to separate, to divorce, if you will, the business divorce. And, you know, unfortunately, with 50-50 partners uh, who basically split everything down the middle, uh, you know, all decisions we made together, (laughs) you know, it gets to a point where I think, wow, that, you know, more power to you if you can do it. And yeah. I, and there are 50, 50 partners that, you know, can do it, but, uh, you know, at some point there's going to be a disagreement or a split. It's very likely. Now it turns into, can we communicate our way out of it? Can we, you know, can we know that, all right, I'm going to go with what you're so passionate with and go forward. Or do I have to rely on my agreement? That's probably going to put me in, you know, a situation where we both agree to like an independent who will come in that we both respect, maybe that we both know that we respect that can help us to resolve our business issue. Or do I have to hire a mediator <laughs> to do that? And then if, if that doesn't succeed, then typically what you're going to want is uh, what, what's termed a Texas shootout. And, um, you know, essentially, if, if I want you out, I will make an offer to you that basically I would be willing to be bought out myself because I make the offer to you. You decide, fine, I'll buy you out and take over the company or fine, go ahead, buy me out. And so it does create a dynamic, pretty, you know, at first when I, when I first started dealing with these, I was like, oh, disastrous. But the other side of that is at least it's a process that can keep the business intact. And, you know, certainly that buyout doesn't have to be cash. It can be a note. Right. And so um, again, you know, you probably, you might be looking at an appraisal situation in that situation. You've probably dealt with those too. Um, But sometimes, you know, sometimes they'll just, you know, pull it from the air because they really want to get it over with. So again, you know, it's, yes, 
they can work. And wow, there's lots of litigation out there on the books too um, for, you know, 50-50 owners that could not agree as to what the next step of the business was. And, you know, that's unfortunate when a, when a judge or a jury has to make those decisions. Yeah. Every, business partners. Pretty much everybody loses at that point. Absolutely. Uh, um, do you recommend trial periods for partnerships? Well, you know, like I said, um, I think trial partners are, are a good idea. It's, you know, if you can't actually, if there's someone that you want to be in business with, I think you can go ahead and make the commitment to each other. But again, I think you need to know that uh, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of uh, things that can come about when you start working together that over time you realize, eh, that's not going to, this is not going to work. Yeah. And so you, again, have to have that good uh, agreement to figure out how are we going to get, you know, how do we separate from this situation? Um, but I do think, you know, I think certainly from the employee perspective, uh, you know, if in a situation where you've got, um, perhaps you've got an owner that wants to retire out of the business. And if you've got, you know, a young, sharp employee in there that wants to take it to the next level and has worked with you for years and you trust them and you respect them and, you know, they have financial integrity, <laughs> then I would say, yeah, that's a great way of, of getting to the next point in the, in the business. Evelyn, we've covered a, a ton of ground today, and uh, as we predicted, I'm not going to get to all the questions, but, but that's okay. I think we've hit uh, most of the, the, the very critical ones. Quite a lot. If, if somebody wants to find out more about this topic, can, can they contact you? And if so, how would they best be able to do that? Absolutely. Um, so I can be reached at um, info at trusted hyphen council, C-O-U-N-S-E-L dot com. The number is 404-898-2900. And I really would thank you very much for the promotion on the podcast, but um, I also want to kind of, kind of reiterate that our in-process podcast can be found on our website. And because we focus on business conversations, Typically, um, you know, there's a lot, there's about five years of content sitting there. So um, private company owners often find it very helpful and educational uh, kind of with regard to their businesses. So I hope, I hope they'll go check it out. Yep. Right. Right after you listen to this podcast, go check that one out. You will not be disappointed. <laughs> um, that's going to wrap it up. And your podcast is still up there, Mike. <laughs> oh, good. Good. I appreciate that. That's going to wrap it up for today's program. I'd like to thank Evelyn Ashley so much for joining us and sharing her expertise with us today. We'll be exploring a new topic each week. So please tune in so that when you're making, when you're faced with your next executive decision, you have clear vision when making it. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider leaving a review with your favorite podcast aggregator. It helps people find us so that we can help them. Once again, this is Mike Blake. Our sponsor is Brady Ware and Company, and this has been the Decision Vision Podcast. 